Welcome, episode six of the All the Fly Kids Show. This week's guest on our Style and Grace episode. Um, a woman from the D.C. area who has done quite a bit of things in, in her years on this earth. Um, bringing it all back home to lend her talents and, and her perspective uh, on the creative scene that is burgeoning and, and flourishing in the DMV. Today, we have Deanna Dorsey joining hello, us. Hello, um, hello. Founder and creative director for District of Clothing and her own design agency, Deanna Dorsey Design. So, we got a lot to talk about today. We do, we do. I'm excited. Good, good, good. Thank so, you for having me. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Glad you're here. I'm happy to be here, too. So, um, start from the top. Um, where's Deanna Dorsey from? Deanna Dorsey was actually born in Virginia, mm -hmm. raised between Washington, D.C. and Pittsburgh. Okay. My wow. parents had an amicable divorce. Mm -hmm. So Monday through Friday, I was in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Most Fridays through Sundays, I was in D.C. Mm -hmm. Summers and holidays, I was also in D.C. Okay. So I, 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 I actually call and consider D.C. home. Okay. But I was definitely raised between D.C. and Pittsburgh. Got it. Got it. So what was that like for you going between two very different cities? Now that I'm um, much older, I just, I appreciate it. It mm -hmm. was it's actually a privilege to be able to, to see such different ways of life. Um, I kind of, you could say I, I grew up on both sides of the tracks. Mm -hmm. So here in D.C., I was... Um, privileged and had access to just many different things that a lot of folks in Pittsburgh didn't have access to. Because Pittsburgh's really blue collar. It's very working class, blue collar, mm -hmm. very, um, it's, it's, it's a wonderful feel good town. Okay. Small town feel. Um, but you don't have access to things that you do in Washington, D.C. Like, you know, you don't see, you just, you just don't see a lot of the things here. Okay. That you would typically see. Okay. In, in Pittsburgh, it's very different. Oh, okay. All right. So, I know that pretty much much of what you do is design based, whether it be in um, fashion or um, creative for different companies, things like that. Um, when, when, and how did your interest in fashion come about? I used to watch gray movies with my mom. Okay. I had a lot of hair as a kid. <laughs> I had a lot of hair as a kid, and she would lay me like on one side to yeah. do one side of my hair, and then she'd lay me on the other side to do the other side of my hair. And I just was always moving. And um, one of the ways she would keep me occupied would be to put on basketball games mm -hmm. or to put on gray movies. Mm -hmm. And as I got older, the gray movies just really sort of held my attention. Okay. Um, just seeing Dorothy Dandridge... And seeing just the the women and the actresses from the from the forties and fifties, it blew my mind. And I just said, I want to somehow be a part of whatever it is that's making her look how mm. she looks, mm -hmm. and that's and that's affecting me. Yeah. Um. I think that was probably the first time that I was, you know, it understood what fashion was, or I was starting to understand what fashion was and how it could affect people. Um, and then good, good era to be inspired. By. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've always loved the color. Okay. So, um, coloring just sort of 
allowed me to like get out of my box and out of my world and I saw all these different colors and I would mix and mingle you know I just I loved to color as a kid so mm -hmm. I think between the two watching gray movies and then just always loving the color okay um and I think I also probably have just it's kind of like in my veins some of my aunts are some serious seriously styled women my grandmother um really 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 loved clothes but it wasn't so much the clothes it wasn't the trivialness of clothes they liked the way the clothes made them feel or mm -hmm. they um it, it just sort of it helped them to empower the help to empower them right, more right. um that's what i think i loved the most about fashion is that it i consider the woman the most beautiful piece of art on earth mm -hmm. and um we can sort of like take things on mm -hmm. and take things off based on what we're wearing. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty powerful. Well, I mean, I, I can agree with you and, and actually uh, relate to you and how being influenced by relatives in fashion, you know, my mother, you know, even though, you know, she wears women's clothes, I wear men's clothes, but I was highly inspired by my mother and her sense of fashion because she was always a risk taker. Mm -hmm. You know, even to this day, my mom is 65 years old. Mm -hmm. She'd kill me for telling her age, but <laughs> or maybe she wouldn't, I don't know. But she's 65 years old and she still does not dress her age, you right. know. Um, and what does that mean? What does dress your age mean? Like, for her, because she complains about this a lot. She mm -hmm. says she gets a lot of hate from her peers. Mm -hmm. I'm going to swear somebody always hating on her. <laughs> she gets a lot of hate from her peers. Her peers are the same age, and she's like, they all dress old, and they mad at me because, you know, I like to be a little flashy. And I'm like, okay, all right. Well, yeah, you keep on doing you, Mom. And, <sighs> you know, but my mother always took risks and, you know, never – she honestly, you know – was more flamboyant mm -hmm. than a lot of her peers, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of the women that she hung around that I remember hanging around as I was coming up, even to this day, you know, and I think for that, I was like, okay, I'm coming from DC where at the time that I was growing up, it was very, you know, primary color, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of fashion and people didn't really take a lot of risks. Um, even on the urban side of things, people didn't really take a lot of risks. And so that encouraged me to take risks. So I could definitely relate to you there. Yeah, you know? I think that one of the powerful things that you sort of touched on there is that fashion also has the ability to help you transcend <laughs> mm -hmm. where you are and where you're going. So think about black and brown people, you know, um, for for decades, for a long time, they were considered. Um, they were considered to, to just be centrally located here. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you put on a certain outfit or if you put on a certain hat or you put on a certain top coat, it allowed you to sort of move forward. Right, right. Um, unfortunately, but also fortunately. So yeah. I've always um, I've always appreciated the fact that I could put on something. You know, today I wanted to be comfortable, so I put on a sweatshirt. I yeah. put on my jeans and some knee-high boots, and I, I feel comfortable versus what I had on earlier today when I was in meetings all day, mm -hmm. and I felt like I had to suit up and... Um, appear a certain way for my client. Right, right. So. So for you at that time, um, when you're in your youth, what were your thoughts on DC and fashion? Because <laughs> DC and fashion is a very controversial topic. Mm -hmm. Controversial in that even for me sometimes I'm just like, when I hear it, I'm just like, uh, like people ask me my opinion on things or like designers and I'm just like, let me think, uh, I'll get back to you. Or like, it's people are, it's always like I'm, I'm stuttering. Mm -hmm. So 
I just want to know from your perspective as a youth, mm -hmm. what were your thoughts on DC and fashion at that time? That's a really funny question. Um, not a funny question, but it's a good question with a funny answer. The first thing that comes to my mind is Parasukos. Uh, I, you know, growing up again between DC and Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, I was I was probably considered more the risk taking mm -hmm. um, student in, in school. Yeah. I I was wearing heels at a very early age. I was. You know, if I felt tired one day, then I might wear pajamas to school the next day. If I was, you know, ready to go, I'd be suited up. You know, I, I dressed differently. Yeah. Coming here to D.C. was always really exciting because I didn't know what was going to change from the last weekend. Yeah. You yeah. really didn't know what was going to change. You didn't know what was going to be different from neighborhood to neighborhood. So one of the number one thing that, that really just sort of sticks in my head from being a kid is just seeing all the black women in DC rocking parasuco jeans and that was that was it and then it was also um awesome seeing like girls were wearing um the guest jeans with all the holes i remember putting that down on my christmas list one year specifically saying i wanted a pair of guest mm -hmm. jeans and mm -hmm. they had to have holes <laughs> um <laughs> did you get those guest jeans you know what i can actually see them in my head i got the guest jeans with the holes okay um yeah. You know, it was also really cool was that Washington, D.C., I think people really sort of focus on the government side of D.C., but yeah. D.C.'s always been a really a creative and a maker community and economy. Mm -hmm. Just think about, and I can't think of the names of any of them, unfortunately, at the moment, but there were so many brands that were here in Washington, D.C. Madness. They were making a killing. Yeah. Shooters. Shooters, yes. Hobo. Hobo. One began with a D. Um, it began with a D. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Uh-oh. Okay, Shooters, Hobo, Madness. Who else? Oh, you talking about DDTP? DDTP. Yeah, DDTP. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Um, who else? Uh, I'm going. We Are One, All Days. Uh, yes. There was a couple. There was some more, um, like, um, uh, on H Street, there used to be a spot, Squash All Beefs. Um, so good. Man, you got me going down. <laughs> and so yeah. think about, think about, you know, Solo gear used to be up on Georgia right, Avenue. Those are amazing black-owned businesses that were keeping the dollars in the black community, mm -hmm. and they were also selling goods to people in the community too. Yes. That's that's powerful. Absolutely, that's absolutely, absolutely powerful, and that's inspiring too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I like it. So, at what point did you know that you wanted to have a career in fashion? <laughs> I can tell you specifically. Okay. I was a junior at Villanova University, just outside of Philadelphia, and um, I had a single room in this dorm, core hall, and I was sitting on top of my bed. I had one of those like higher up beds so I could store all my stuff underneath. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be studying, and I picked up the remote. I'm sort of flipping through the stations, and CNN Style is on. Mm -hmm. And I caught it at the very beginning of the episode, and it was the top 10 designers of the decade. Yeah. And I'm studying to take the um, LSAT because mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm supposed to go to law school and I'm supposed to be the first black female president. I'm supposed to do all these things, right? <laughs> so I'm sitting. I'm we all were. We all were, right. <laughs> I'm sitting um, on my elevated bed, and this is a 30 minute show. And. I knew every single designer mm -hmm. in order, mm -hmm. and I knew everything about the designers. Okay. And when the show was over, I just burst into tears. Cause ooh, all ooh. I could look in front of me was this 
uh, huge LSAT book that I had absolutely no interest in uh, studying. And that at that moment, I realized that I wanted to be a fashion designer or that I was supposed to do something in fashion. And this is like early 2000s we're talking about? Uh, this this is actually 2000. 2000? Yeah, okay. this is 2000. So who were these 10 designers? Oh, I, my memory. I don't remember now. I, for sure, Chanel was in there. Um, for sure, Balenciaga was mm-hmm. a part of it. Um, Armani was in there. Mm-hmm. I can't remember everyone now, but at that moment, I knew. Well, who were your favorite at that time? If you can name one. You don't have to name all of them. Um, or you don't have to name the, the best one, but one of the favorites right. that you had. Chanel. Chanel? Why Chanel? She's so bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I really liked, I've always liked about Chanel was her story. Mm-hmm. Um, and how she, as a woman, she just always believed in herself. And she was never afraid to take risks. And she never accepted no as an answer. And she... You know, people would shut doors in her face. She was like, okay, I'm going to do it this way. Okay, I'm going to do it this way. Okay, I'm going to involve these people. And um, she was well, well beyond her time. And she's, you know, she also was using shapes and textures um, and techniques that just was not happening mm-hmm. at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And to think where she came from and where she was prior to her death and even now is just, <sighs> Yeah. It, it got you. It, it, it yeah, got you I, right got, here. I got a little, I got a little, <laughs> a little, a little misty there, right? Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, it's um, I mean, it's it's really powerful to, to have a dream, mm-hmm. and to make that dream a reality. Absolutely. And so to see people doing it, and especially to see people of color doing it, mm-hmm. and he's, and to see women doing it, just always really very inspiring to me. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. So, once you made this decision. How do you get from there to the fashion school that you attended in Milan, Italy? <laughs> um, so that was my junior year of college. Mm-hmm. I finished school, fast forward, graduated, and um, I I did take the LSAT. Mm-hmm. I did horribly. So that was your sign? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was so bad. That was um, your sign? Like, uh, yeah, let me just go ahead and... <laughs> it wasn't just a sign. It was like... <laughs> it was an exit. So um, I, I I graduated and I came home because I just wasn't really sure what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. And I said, well, maybe I can take some time off and just sort of be at home in D.C. and, you know, figure things out. Mm-hmm. I'll work for my dad for a little bit. I um, had been working since I was 16 years old. I always had a summer job, I always had a, a job while I was, you know, like after school and high school. I always had an internship or something. I was just always working and hustling. Right. Mm-hmm. So I thought let me just take a little bit of time off and figure out what I want to do. That summer after I graduated, he's fine now, but my father had a a, a massive heart attack and a seven-part bypass. Okay. That night. Well, thank goodness he, he yes, survived that. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Um, that night, I came home, mm-hmm. and I wrote my first... Uh, I wrote my first business plan. Okay. And that was for Deanna Marie. Mm-hmm. Um, and my thought was, I never wanted to be one of those 50-year-old women saying, I wish I would have when I could have yeah. on Oprah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I saw what the stress of being an attorney did to my father. Um, and I just said, I want to be happy. I just, I want, I just want to be happy. And this is what makes me happy. So I came home that night Mm -hmm. and I was up all night. I literally could not, I couldn't sleep anyway, knowing what had happened over the course of the day. Um, (laughs) and I wrote my first business plan and, um, I started traveling back and forth from DC to Italy and I was I had researched to see like where the best places were for different textiles mm-hmm. and um, I used to travel with these big huge suitcases like half the size of this table yeah and I would go empty suitcases mm-hmm. travel to Italy and walk around with a suitcase speaking English <laughs> how did that work out for you it worked out great for me I'm sitting here with you today <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I would just walk around Italy, walking around Biella, walking around Milan, yeah. and um, with my big, huge suitcase, and asking people where I could find remnants of fabrics, and just you know hoping to just be able to talk with people about the fashion industry and to learn that way. Mm-hmm. And um, I started coming home with suitcases full of like Fendi remnants, Armani remnants, Xenia remnants. And when you say remnants, meaning like. That means so. Imagine, uh, imagine Armani does, I don't know, a run of ten thousand suits mm-hmm. in a certain wool fabric. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe they only used, uh, maybe they used ninety five percent of the roll. Mm-hmm. I was going in and asking for that other five percent. Okay. So all of my items were, all of my designs were made with like top, top, top notch textiles at a fraction of the price okay yeah all right then um one day i left biella Mm -hmm. took the train from biella to milan Mm -hmm. it's about an hour long train ride and um i'm just sort of walking around the duomo and shopping and talking with people and eating and eating and eating and eating and drinking and uh italy's just my favorite place on earth (laughs) and um i got lost because i you know was just sort of like meandering around it's just sort of my thing yeah i happened to look up and i saw the sign that said istituto marangoni fashion design school something like that and i said oh what's this so i went upstairs and i started asking questions again and um i got an application i came home i filled out the application i got accepted and um, I had to tell my, my dad, who had just had this heart attack a year before, mm-hmm. that I was leaving to move to Italy. But I also had no money because I had been, you know, I was like living and working, taking care of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, I'm planning to move to Italy, but I also need money to move to Italy. And I don't know. Uh, I, I don't have anything. So can you help me? You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and he's still thinking like, oh. Tiana's going to be an attorney and she's going to take over my law firm. And I was thinking, well, I'll take over the law firm, but I'm going to sell it so that I could, <laughs> you know, build a fashion house. Right, right, right. <laughs> my, um, it was a, probably one of the first times that I actually broke his heart. Um, and so he he didn't quite understand how I could go from Villanova University to him wanting me to go to Georgetown Law, which was just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. 
to me saying to him, I want to be a fashion designer. He thought it was a joke. I mean, he, you know, he, he was just like. Most people's parents whose parents have no connection to the arts, entertainment or whatever, when you say you want to do something that is creative for a living, they're just like, Okay. Right. All right. Like you know, I mean, I even remember when I told him I was going to Villanova University, and he's like, "Okay, we're gonna go. You know, we're gonna major in finance, and you can do general business." And he's like, all excited. I was like, "No, no, no! I'm gonna study communication. Communication. You already know how to talk. You know, (laughs) that's all you do is talk." So, um, I, he was, uh, he was a bit floored, and Mm -hmm. I didn't know how I was going to get him to understand that this was a stepping stone to wherever I was supposed to go, but I had to move. I had to move to Milan. I yeah. had to live there. At the time, I was sort of going back and forth, and I spent like a month in Milan or a couple of weeks in Milan, and then I would come back, but I had to move there full time. So I used, I did like a PowerPoint presentation, used some Jay-Z lyrics, 80 mil in like 18 months, you know, I did this whole breakdown explaining to him like how much money people made in the fashion industry and how the fashion industry was also connected to different brands and Mm -hmm. LVMH and Hennessy. I'm I'm really trying to like break it down to make him understand like. So you had to pitch your father. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. My first pitch. (laughs) I had to explain to him and really break it down to him like, I will be okay. I'm going to be broke for a while. Yeah. I'm going to be broke for a long while. Yeah. But in the long run, I'm gonna be okay, and I was I was made for this. Like yeah. this is this is me. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was impressed. He said, "If you're gonna do it, you better do it well. Yeah. And um, you know, make sure you call us when you can." Mm-hmm. So, I left October 2003 to mm-hmm. move to Milan full time, mm-hmm. and um, had the time of my life going to school. And, and Milan and um, met my best friend and just really that you know my time living in, in Italy was really um, sort of the time when I I, I finally met myself okay. like that's when I felt like my absolute best self. Um, Why? How so? I think I was I, you know I was. 22 years old I think Mm. yeah 22 23 years old Mm -hmm. and um for so long you know we're kids and we're just like doing what we've always been told to do Mm -hmm. this was the first time it actually took a step out took my very first big huge risk and I was living on my own in a different country Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily speak the language well um I didn't look like anybody else that was there and um I I was I was just really like the first time I felt like I was actually living my purpose. Um, and I always say that when your passion meets your purpose, you're pretty much unstoppable. Absolutely. And that's how I felt. Absolutely. Um, only thing that really stopped me in Milan were the pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> but then you um, ended up in New York at, later on. They got plenty of pigeons there too, you know? I so I don't really so, think you understand. I don't think you understand. It's, it's, a, it's a different type of pigeon. Italian pigeons don't have anything on New York pigeons, I'm assuming. They're both the worst of the worst. <laughs> the flying rats, right? Yes. I, I, yes. I, flying I, rats. I have, I don't have too many fears, but when it comes to pigeons, I mean, I fully embarrass myself. It's not, <laughs> it's not cute. <laughs> it's not cute at all. What, 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 what was your, what was your, one of your fondest memories living in Milan? Oh, 
Um, so many. Um, first thing that comes to mind was graduation day. Mm -hmm. I should say not graduation day, but like our last day of class, which, um, was just very emotional because mm -hmm. it was a full year of just nonstop learning, moving, learning, moving, learning, moving. And, um, I was constantly like leaving my flat, going to class, going to aperitivo, going back to my flat, going to party, going back to, you know, it was just constantly on this go. Like I was just constantly going. And on the day, our last day of classes, we had this huge presentation and I rocked it. I was really very happy. People were leaving, everyone saying their goodbyes and congratulations to everybody. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I like to be out, but I'm also really a homebody. So okay. I, I wanted to go home. Um, and when I mean home, I mean home to my flat. Okay. And so uh, I'm leaving school and I'm just sort of walking home. But this is the first time I'm not in a rush and I don't absolutely have any place to be. I just I know that I want to be home, but I'm just sort of like taking my time. Mm. And um, something told me to look up. And I finally looked up, and I'm getting emotional again. I, I finally looked up. This was not the intention to have you yeah, and your no. feelings <laughs> on, this, on this podcast. Welcome to Deanna. Okay, so I finally looked up, and, um, you know, you sometimes you just need to pause and just sort of look up and just be appreciative. Like It really finally hit me at that moment. Whoa, yeah. I've always wanted to be this fashion designer. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I'm actually in living in Italy. I live blocks away from the Duomo. Um, and I just graduated top of my class from design school. Mm -hmm. And then I looked up and it was just this beautiful, you know, the buildings, the architecture, everything's just absolutely stunning. And it just sort of um, hit me again, like, whoa, you're actually you're living your life's purpose. You're you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're doing it on your own. And I was, I was you know, 24 years old. Like, I was a baby. Mm -hmm. um, no, I was still, actually, I think I was still 23. I hadn't even quite hit 24 yet at that point. Yeah. My birthday was maybe in, like, a week or two, something like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was, it was, that, that is probably one of my, that's probably my top memory in, in uh, Milan and Italy and then definitely just like dancing I had the time of my life okay the, you, this, just the best partying ever, ever I mean they got all the dope house music in, in Europe so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a I, low key I'm a I'm a house head mm -hmm. you know and I always say I, if I don't do anything else when I finally take a trip to Europe I'm gonna go to as many house parties as I can go to because they got so all amazing. the dope house music out there. Yeah, it's like, you know, all the warehouse parties, and you're just like driving down the street, and then you're like, "Whoa, is it even safe to get out of the car here?" And then you walk into this place, and it's just like, "Oh my god, I can't believe how beautiful it is inside of here!" And yeah. then the lights hit, the music comes, and it's just you walk out, and it's 8 a.m. <laughs> you're like, "What the hell just happened?" What? Right, and you're like, "Oh my god, my legs are so bad." So, so, did you ever get homesick while you were in Italy? Uh, I came home a couple of times. I did get sick, homesick once. Mm -hmm. um, my sister fell ill, and it took me. Thankfully, my cousin was with me in in uh, Milan at the time. My cousin Carla and our really good friend, um, 
Bam, well, I call her Bam. Everyone else calls her Marshawn. But they were they happened, thankfully, to be with me, mm-hmm. um, very close with my sister. And it took me a full 24 hours to get back to her. And I was that that was the moment when I realized that I was not going to be able to live overseas for the rest of my life. Prior to that, I never thought I was coming back to the United States. Okay. But when it took me a full 24 hours to get back to my baby, I just said, oh, this is for the birds. Okay. Um, so that was probably the only time I got homesick. Um, and it was it was an interesting time, you know, to be overseas as a young American. There was a lot going on in the world, a lot of things that I didn't hardly understand, yeah. um, a lot of things that I just didn't know. So it was it was exciting to to meet other North Americans and sort of um, experience that together. I think that that camaraderie, excuse me, sort of uh, helped us not feel like we were. Outside or so outside much. or so much, you know, yeah. we had like an American Thanksgiving, you know, we just we did things to just still celebrate. I still watched football on Sundays. I still, you know, I watched the Super Bowl. I still was able to lead my like American lifestyle slightly, you know, pick and chose mm-hmm. when I wanted to. Yeah. So upon graduation, you come back stateside. Mm-hmm. OK. And you land back in New York. Mm-hmm. And so you're in the Big Apple now, and I, I, you know, I can whatever you're going to talk about, aside outside of just like your full on experience in the different working for the different um, designers that you work with. You know, I could definitely fully understand because I lived up there for a long time. Yeah, you know, and so New York, especially Manhattan, like that's that's like second home for me. Yeah. So, New York. What happens, you know, um, I read that, you know, you worked for Oscar De La Renta uh-huh. um, and a few others. So just talk about that a little bit. This is really funny. Okay. So the first thing that sort of comes to mind is my first job in Manhattan, mm-hmm. which was an internship because I couldn't get hired. Okay. And uh, I had no experience. Mm-hmm. So I get picked up. Um, so that's I'm a good point. See, her see, name. So that's good because... I'm glad you said that uh-huh. because you just graduated from what I'm assuming is probably one of the, the, the top fashion institutions of learning in the world, right? It's a good school, yeah. And you couldn't even get a job right away. Could not get a job. You know, wow. Okay. That, that's that's a running theme in my, um, <laughs> <laughs> in my entrepreneurial story. Um, so I moved to New York, can't get a job. And I, I won't say her name. I I get picked up to work as an intern for this uh, designer mm-hmm. who um, was doing really, she was doing well for herself. And I didn't know at the time that I was, I was being hired to replace an intern who was, who was ready to, to leave yeah. the company. Excuse me. And, uh, <laughs> I just didn't understand why she was like running, you know, she gave me a sheet. She explained a couple of things. She showed me around the office and she was like, okay, okay, okay. I got to go. I got to go. You know, good mm-hmm. luck. Good luck. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, how, stay on with me for a week. Like, you know, you can't expect me to just pick up the, the, the pieces from, from literally, I had just gotten back to the United States Yeah, yeah. and um, I got her, her name was Kim Foley. We're still very good friends to this day. I can if you're listening. <laughs> uh, I'll have to send this to her. So she stays on with me for a couple of days and 
just sweet as pie, such a nice young lady. And um, she's finally like, okay, deuces, I'm out. And boy, did I find out why she was like so ready. To so just she she leave. leaves you high and dry. High <laughs> and dry. Let okay. me tell you again. I'm not. I won't say this designer's name. But um, high and dry is interesting. I walked in on her, you know, smoking in the office before. I've walked in on her crying to her dog before. Um, I've called her several times, and she was at the police station. I had the Department of Labor knocking on the door once, and I was there by myself with some uh, illegal people in the back. Um, I had to walk around New York City like 90-degree weather with huge uh, suitcases full of fabric on the uneven, you know, you name it. Like, I did it. It was, uh, (laughs) I'm thankful for it. Okay. Bill's character. I mean, I right? see why you won't name her because she was a hot mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was a hot uh, Yeah. You know what's really crazy? Kim and I, one day, we were in a mood fabric store in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And you know how you're a kid and you know your mom's keys? Does this make sense to you? You know, like your, the jingle of your mom's keys? Yeah. Yeah. So Kim and I are in mood and we're all excited. We're like looking at all these different textiles and fabrics and stuff and we're just in our element and mood happy to see each other we hadn't seen each other in a while and we heard this jingle of these keys yeah yeah like this the hair on the back of my neck just jumped up it was this designer and we were literally hiding you know (laughs) in the fabrics the fabric rolls because we were so afraid that she was gonna see us it was it was that much of a nightmare experience but again i learned a lot Mm -hmm. Um, I remember calling my dad one day and I was hysterical. I was like, I I could not, I was sobbing. I was so angry. I was so scared. I just, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And he just said, so don't. And I said, oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, okay. I wasn't even thinking that I didn't have to do this anymore. So find another job, Deanna. Right. And that's what I did. Okay. Find another job. And the one you found after this was an actual paying position yes okay uh so i did several different freelance gigs Mm -hmm. um where you know they need one day you're a designer the next day you're doing emails the next day you're doing photo shoots next day you're dropping off coffee like so a glorified intern paid internship then yes (laughs) absolutely okay absolutely okay um but i had i always had great headhunters um and I was willing to, you know, I wanted to just experience the the, the entirety of the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. They sort of sell you this dream when you're in design school. It's like, look out the window, see the beautiful trees, feel the tree, imagine the tree. You are the tree. Now design this beautiful, you know, come up with the collection, a 30-piece collection from this tree. And then you, you know. See, that's what be messing up the kids that go to art schools oh, and like you, they paint literally have you painting this picture, yep. and then when you get out in the real world, you're like, <laughs> yeah. you don't get smacked upside um, the head. Hey, you're gonna sit in this closet and you're gonna <laughs> send 300 emails every single day. Um, and by the way, we you know we need you to wear, we need you to look good while you're doing it. Um, but we're not gonna pay you any money, so you can even go. Like livable shopping wage, at... <laughs> right? Livable wage. What's that? But no, we need you coming in here looking good. Okay, you know, yeah, no. You can no. barely afford to go to the thrift store. 
I was always really very blessed, though. I do have to say that. Um, okay. And again, my headhunters were great. I um, I think having had my four-year education at Villanova and then also having gone to school in Italy just sort of gave me a notch above. And I knew that I had to do that as a brown woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also slightly older, and I had the ability to both be creative and analytical. Mm-hmm. And then I knew different programs that a lot of the people on my floor didn't always know. So I was also teaching people different things. So okay. I would say, oh, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll definitely teach X, Y, and Z how to do that, but you got to pay me. Yeah. Um, which is what I think allowed me to to sort of survive and thrive in New York um, for a while. Okay. So I made it through about 16, 17 rounds of layoffs. Um, and then finally, uh, a company from Asia bought the license that I was working on, mm-hmm. the, the company that I was working on, the licensing company. And um, I would probably say that one of the hardest things for human beings to do, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is to change your lifestyle. Um, you know, one day I was like living and working in Manhattan as a fashion designer. Yeah. And then the next day I was not. And that was really, really, really very challenging. So at this point, I'm living in Harlem. Okay. Where I used to live. Where where in Harlem did you live? 132 in Lenox, baby. Okay. I was in Lenox Terrace. So my f- oh, for real? Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Yep. Uh, so my first stop in Harlem was 141st in Edgecombe. And then from there, I did uh, 135th and 8th Ave, like right oh. across the street from the police station. Yep. yep. I can see it. Yeah. Clear yeah. as day. Yeah. But Lenox Terrace. Are you fancy? <laughs> I, it, well, it was it was what? the old school movies that got you in the it Lennox was, Terrace. It was, it was. I like anything classic and vintage. But you know, also um, living in a city, a beautiful city like New York, is different for women than it is for men. Okay. So I had, yeah, I, I've always had a concierge just for security purposes. Okay. All right. I think it's cool. I would love to have had a walk up, but I also had some, uh, I'll yeah. say, unique experiences in the city, and I definitely needed to have. It, it helped me to sleep at night just to have that extra little level of security. So, Did you choose Harlem or did Harlem choose you? I think it was both. Okay. So when I first moved to Manhattan, <laughs> I was, um, I lived on 42nd between 11th and 12th. Mm-hmm. One River, as we called it. It's called One River Place. Okay. And um, I walked to work. I walked to the grocery store. I walked to party. I walked everywhere. I had, you know, it was just, it was perfect. It was on the water, which I absolutely loved. It had this amazing view. Um, by that point, Giuliani had really sort of turned 42nd Street around. Yes. And it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> right. what it used to be. It wasn't what it used to be. So it was it was um, a different experience on 42nd Street than it would have been prior to that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I had um, just amazing, really cool and creative people also living in my building. Um, I smartened up, moved to my aunt's condo mm-hmm. in my favorite part of the city, which is Lincoln Lincoln Center. Okay. So I was at 62 between Broad and Columbus mm-hmm. for a little bit. I think I stayed with her for about six months because rent was just beating me over the head um, on 42nd Street. And um, I had a turtle, little D, and she wouldn't let my turtle stay with me. So my turtle was li- living in... New Jersey with a my turtle? girlfriend, Tish. Yeah. 
little turtle. <laughs> My best friend brought us turtles. She wouldn't let day. a turtle stay with you? She said it was a dinosaur and she was not going to have a dinosaur in her place so okay my my goal was to stay there for a year mm-hmm. but i i didn't want my turtle to have to stay at my girlfriend's place for a full year so mm-hmm. i did six months on 62nd between 11th and 12th and i was just sort of looking 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 and yeah. then one day i just said you know what let's go up to harlem i went up to harlem and i um i loved it and the cool thing about it was that a couple of my girlfriends we all sort of made the move together yeah so I had friends that weren't too far away from me. It was definitely, um, it was a learning experience. Mm-hmm. It was really, it was a really cool time to be in Harlem, but yes. it was also um, great that I had my girlfriends there with me. We sort of experienced like the just the day in and day out of Harlem living together, mm-hmm. which was really very awesome um, that we that we were able to do that together and just sort of see the different side, see a different side of Manhattan. All the hustlers live in Harlem. All the hustlers live in Harlem. You know what's crazy? When I first got to Harlem, my cousin was a little nervous for me because I just, I hadn't, I had never lived in the hood before. Yeah. Like I lived, I lived here in D.C. I was on Capitol Hill. It was, it was, it's definitely different now. It was like a cool, you know, it was an awesome place then, but I was a kid, so I wasn't like out and about, mm-hmm. you know. I had been living in Manhattan for a long time mm-hmm. and I had a certain way of, about my lifestyle, so I told my cousin I was moving. My cousin Manrico, I told him I was moving to Harlem, and he was like, "Okay, um, I'm on my way." I'm like, "Okay, I didn't know what that meant, right?" So no, he just he literally he just we walked around. He he just took me like block by block to mm-hmm. meet people to like you know to just really allow me to like get to know people so that also people could get to know me, and then you know. Um, just make sure I was good. It was it was an awesome opportunity. And ever yeah. since then, whenever I move in to a new town or a new neighborhood, that's what I do. Like I walk around so that I can meet people and people can get to see me. And you know, it was a it was a really cool experience. But I also had never lived next to um, like housing units before, so it was it was. Uh, I mean, there's um, projects everywhere in in New York. You there know, are. Like, I just had never lived next to them. You could be in. You could be in. A, an apartment that is like million a million dollars. a million five right. or something mm-hmm. and right across the street is NYSHA New York City Housing Authority right. building right. you know what I mean right. so definitely um, <laughs> I mean that was culture shock for me too yeah. you know what I mean that was definitely culture shock for me too because I'm used to being here and like you know the projects are here right. and it's just there and right. then you go and you might have to go a ways before you get to more projects you mm-hmm. know what I mean so you know but just wanted to know what what you know if, like I said, if Harlem chose you or if you chose Harlem, you know. I think I don't... it was a mutual. I think it was a mutual experience. It was um a, a, like a mutual choosing. Yeah, honestly. Um, and I ask that because a lot of people I know from here, um, most people who from here who move to New York they go to Brooklyn, especially right. now. Right. You know, and people are like, "Why do you like Harlem?" I was like, "It's just me." Like for me, my two favorite neighborhoods in New York are Harlem and Soho. Yeah. You know, and like. The person that I am, both of those neighborhoods fit. Notice the Brooklyn. I lived in Brooklyn for a short time. Right. And I just I just wasn't feeling it to the point where I was like, okay, I wanna I wanna, you know, be here. I wanna live here, you know. But I was always in Brooklyn just because a lot of my friends lived in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's funny your what you said about your cousin, you know, like I'm on my way. You know, when I told my father uh that I was moving to Harlem, he was like, Harlem what do you mean, Harlem? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, his sister, my aunt, to this day, still lives on in a house in Bed-Stuy 
Jefferson and Nostrand. Yep. And she's been there since 89. Yeah. So you mean to tell me you about to, you concerned for me when your sister, right. <laughs> where I live is better than where she was living you at know, the time. I mean, really, like, I think it was more or less my cousin was just thinking, he used to live with me in Pittsburgh, right? Mm-hmm. So he just knows me as this little suburban girl. And he was like, whoa, this is not the, this is not Lincoln Center. This is not 42nd Street. Like, I just want her to appreciate the community and i think that's what i took away most from harlem Mm -hmm. was that it was a community you know my neighbors knew my name i knew my neighbor's name absolutely i you know helped sweep like if if there were issues with snow removal there were people who were helping out with snow removal the people at the grocery store around the corner knew my name it was just you know it was a a community feel which i really appreciated Mm -hmm. um and i hadn't really experienced that before which was super super dope and it was also you know i wasn't working the latter half of my staying in harlem so i was also working at the um i didn't have a day job so i considered myself air quotes working mm-hmm. um for the obama office okay. for like the harlem obama office i would go there every day from like nine to five or nine to six mm-hmm. and it was just a really unique time to be in harlem mm-hmm. um and it was a really unique time to experience a community that was like growing and thriving and also dealing with some gentrification yes um but also coming up with these really amazing restaurants and like black owned and woman owned restaurants and different retail shops it was it was a great time to be there and all the food that was coming into harlem was like well, one other question I wanted to ask is about yeah. your um, experience um, working in fashion in New York. What was it like designing um, with uh, Oscar De La Renta? So I, it's it's interesting you say that. Um, I only met him once. Okay. I met him once in the elevator. Mm-hmm. Um, so when as, as, when you're a designer, a minion, you're not really like, yes, you are designing for Oscar De La Renta or whomever, mm-hmm. but you never see them. You never have access to them. It's, okay. You know, my... Um, supervisor's name was Carla mm-hmm. and she was wonderful but that's who my day-to-day touch point was um design outerwear for Oscar A. Lorenzo another one of those moments where I had to pinch myself and like kiss myself at the same time um I, I met him on the elevator mm-hmm. one day and the doors open and I was just like <laughs> Oh my God! Like it's the guy, it's this the man, is him, right? <laughs> yeah. And he's all—he's a beautiful man too. So he was a beautiful man. He still is a beautiful man, but he was a beautiful man. Too. But you know, I, I was just sort of like blown away. And then I was really blown away because he smiled at me, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, sort of like looking around. You know, again, I'm this little minion. You're sort of—they talk about these designers like they're gods. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you never really have access to them. We're in a small, tight space, and. He actually thanked me for working for him when I was trying to thank him for the opportunity to design yeah. for for Oscar. You know, like this is Oscar. This is yeah. also this is a man of color. Let's remember, right? Um, and he shook my hand and he he sort of you know did the the polite bow and you know and and thanked me for working for him. And I again one of those moments where I was just like, oh my god, okay, everything's been worth it. Yeah. Um, it was really, really kind of cool. Really kind of cool. That opportunity came my way um, because one of the VPs was a Villanova graduate, which was awesome, too. Okay. Um, so, again, having a hard time getting a job. 
and it kind of came full circle. When those I'm in those the connections started coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Coming it really play. matters how you treat people and your experiences and keeping up with people. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm assuming, so you said you were working for the Obama office um, in, in, in air our, quotes. Air right. quotes. Um, with this, volunteering, I, get, I was volunteering. Okay, so this was around the time of his first presidential campaign. Yes, sir. So, at what point? How much longer were you in New York before you came back to DC? I moved to DC. My goodness, I moved here November ninth, two thousand and nine. Okay, so the day after? Uh, no. It was tripping. a year. A year after yeah. he had gotten elected. Right. Okay. I had hope and change. So I was thinking like, <laughs> oh, I can get a job in New York. Not going to happen. Right. Um, I moved to, to New York. Excuse me. I moved from New York back to D.C. November 9th, 2009. Mm-hmm. And um, I just assume, you know, I have this amazing portfolio. I have all this great experience from Manhattan. I'll be able to get a job in D.C. And I just sort of like woke up one day thinking, time to go home. I never thought. Never, ever, 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 ever thought I was going to leave Manhattan. You thought the same thing about Milan, too. Felt the same thing about <laughs> Milan. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I felt the same thing about Milan. So I came to D.C. Mm-hmm. Again, running theme. Couldn't get hired. Couldn't get a job. And um, I saw an ad. I'm about to tell my age. But I saw an ad on uh, Craigslist. For an intern, for like a branding intern. Mm-hmm. And I just said, I don't really have any other options. So I'm I'm going to expand my portfolio by mm-hmm. working for this, uh, this organization, Dreaming Out Loud, ran okay. by the executive director, Christopher Bradshaw, my now brother. Good man, good man. Good man, wonderful man. Um, and I said, listen... This is my experience. Mm-hmm. Here's my portfolio. I can't get hired. And he just sort of <laughs> looked at everything and was like, okay, um, you can't get hired. This is what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're going to work for me. Yes, you're going to work <laughs> for me. Um, and I started working every day with Chris at the Affinity Lab on U Street. I remember his days at the Affinity yep. Lab. Yes. It was one of, I think the Affinity Lab is actually the first co-working, co-sharing place in D.C. It was. Yeah. Really, really, really awesome, dope. Just, just, you name it. It, it was just the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Philippe. And uh, Chris and I were in there every single day, all day long. Mm-hmm. And um, we just made some beautiful things in there. And the foundation, he already had this great foundation for Dreaming Out Loud, but we sort of refined the brand and um, rejuvenated it and just really started pushing it. And it's just been growing and flourishing ever since then. Okay. So working in the Affinity Lab, people saw what we were building and creating together. Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, oh, no one's going to hire me? I'll hire myself. Yeah. And people started coming over to our desk and saying, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? Can mm-hmm. you do this? Pay me. I can, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. You got to... Okay, yeah, I'll do it. And um, that was the beginning of Deanna Dorsey Design. Okay. So you actually were able to do with what many people who end up in your position where you 
get all this education, you have this experience, this hands-on real-world experience, and then you go to a place and you're not able to get hired, <laughs> but you were able to pull your transferable skills and not only um, land yourself in a working position, but then suddenly launch your own business. You know, like a lot of people are not able to do that. <laughs> a lot. You know, a lot of people just continue to plug away at find, trying to find a job, you know. And when you said that, you know, when you moved back home to D.C., you weren't able to, to find a job, even though you had all this experience. I could another moment when I could relate mm-hmm. because the experience that you had, you know, just the, the easy puzzle piece fit, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't going to fit in D.C. It, it, it wasn't, you know, um, and. It's good. It's great that you were able to just really like find those transferable skills and sell yourself in a completely different way. Yeah, you know, you know um, one of the things Dorsey, uh, Dorsey is my dad. That's what I call him. Um, one of the things that he's always, always, always said to me was, "Okay, now get back to work." Mm-hmm. And that's just the mindset. It's like, okay, I'll get back to work. Yeah. Um, so you launched Deanna Dorsey Design. I launched Deanna Dorsey Design. Thank God for Christopher. <laughs> Thank God for the Affinity Lab. Um, you know, there were many nights where I was just like working all day. Mm-hmm. We take like a a little break in the evenings, and we would go to uh, Lounge of Three, listen to some music, then come back. Nick the Wonder, yes, best music ever. Mm-hmm. Um, watch a game, have a couple of drinks, um, and then come back to the Affinity Lab. I used to play music. Oh, Chris. I'm I'm the, the person who like when I hear a song and I love a song I I play it out so I would play these songs like over and over and over again and it really helps my creativity but you know mm. you know sort of killing Christopher <laughs> um slowly and silently or we you know there would be nights where we you know we're ordering food and we're um just working through the night or to the crack of dawn and or maybe we're like playing soccer you know they're teaching me how to play soccer you know different little soccer moves it was just it was this awesome um it was sort of i guess one of the unique times where this community of creatives and makers Mm -hmm. was all sort of together at the affinity lab um on u street of all places yeah and um like there were these dreamers Mm -hmm. who were doing the things that they had just dreamt about yeah and we were all doing it together all supporting each other together you know oh um you need a you need someone who's good with books x y and z is great with the books you need a designer x y and z is great with designers you need someone who has access to dc schools this person has access to that it was just it was a um it's a really awesome time to be all together in dc but also at the affinity lab being able to find community has always been a saving grace for you too. Yeah. That's, a, that's also a recurring theme in all of yeah. your relocating and, and what have you. Yeah. You know, like minds. Yeah. And 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 I'm very big on making sure that you're also connected with people who don't think the same. But yes, um, in general, just very creative people who are always encouraging to one another. Right. Right. It's dope. So, I want to ask you again. Mm-hmm. So coming back to DC after having spent time in Milan and New York, working in the fashion industry. What were your thoughts about DC and fashion at this point? Penguins. <laughs> <laughs> and I love penguins. But everyone here, and I love black and white, but everyone here was just like stiff, mm-hmm. black and white. 
black suit, black overcoat, white shirt. I mean, by the time you came back, like, you know, you know, gentrification was like alive and well. You should see my block. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was. It was alive and well. And I think it was it was really cool because you're sort of seeing like these two different communities like brush up against each other, right? So mm-hmm. you're seeing even in the Affinity Lab, there were all these like creative people who were having all these awesome ideas and these these maker mindsets. But when we had to like go for meetings, we switched it up. Mm-hmm. And um, at some point we were just like, okay, we're just not going to switch it up anymore. But it was it was a really awesome time, I think, for fashion in D.C. in 2009, 2010, because people were experiencing this, like, influx of, this is what I want to do. They were inspired by Obama. Yes. This is what I want to do. I believe in hope and change. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am hoping, I am the change that, I'm, that I've been seeking. Yes. And it's okay if I go to work on Monday with a sweatshirt on. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll put it, you know, with some pumps and a pencil skirt. But I'm going to wear a sweatshirt. Yes. Um, or... I didn't see any of those women, so I don't know what you okay. were seeing. I didn't see... I wish I had seen those women because <laughs> they would have definitely caught my, caught my eye. <laughs> right. I would have been like, oh, who, who I, I do that today, too. <laughs> you know, I just... I just... And I've always... When I was in Manhattan, we were expected to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Being here, you know, I I definitely, I love, I, I believe that being overdressed is a way of life. Mm-hmm. And I love to be overdressed. But I'm also like a Chucks and T-shirt girl. So um, you don't necessarily know how you're going to feel the next day. But I always want to feel like myself. And you just started seeing people becoming more comfortable with, you know, dressing differently. Mm-hmm. And then I think more than anything, there were lots of communities of people here who were constantly who they were at all times yeah. and also in what they were wearing. We just weren't really mixing together. We weren't really like seeing people who didn't dress like us at work. Yeah. And then it sort of started to kind of come together and, and you have this um, awesome creative and maker community that's really flourishing here, mm-hmm. but also um, mixing and, and cohabitating very well with the political economy excuse me with the political community here too it's, yeah. it's kind of dope so constantly seeing this creative and maker community mm-hmm. is that what inspired you to launch the now two-year-old mm-hmm. district of clothing yay <sighs> what inspired me so i had this idea it's 20, i'm bad with dates so it's 2016 now mm-hmm. so in 2013 i had this idea um and and I kind of I you know I missed fashion but I didn't know how or like I didn't know how to approach my missing fashion right mm-hmm. so at one point I said oh I missed fashion and I got a job at All Saints okay for a couple of months I was like no 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 I don't miss retail that's for sure the coolest <laughs> part of I that I don't know anybody that misses yeah. retail even people who have move way up in the ranks of retail <laughs> no one misses retail the coolest <laughs> thing about that was that um sasha and malia came in one day which was super okay. dope but um yeah. what i what i realized was that i liked communicating with the people who were coming in and helping them better understand what works best for them and what looked best on them 
So I had this idea and I just kept pushing it out of my head because I had so much work to do with Deanna Dorsey design that I was like, I can't think of anything else. You know, I don't have the bandwidth to do it. Mm -hmm. But I also knew that I needed to create a passive, yeah. at least one passive mm -hmm. um, at that point. And so finally I was like pushing out of my head, pushing out of my head one night. I just, it's November 2014 and my head was like, no, you're not going to go to sleep we're going to work on this yeah. and you're like, this is happening. It's happening. The best ideas come out when you're ready to go to sleep. Yep. It's like, <laughs> this is happening. It's like, okay. Um, sort of took me back to my like all nighters in Milan. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, the, it was always about dreaming and doing was, yeah. you know, sort of floating around in my head. And that's how the dreamer doer sort of came to be mm -hmm. with the dreamer crossed out. Because again, I wasn't able to sleep. Like I wasn't dreaming anymore. I was like, "No, you're gonna do this. You okay. are. You're doing this." Um, I was really incredibly inspired by all the people that I worked with or just encountered. My friends, my family here, um, and and in other places too. But everyone here, you know, it was a really awesome time to be in D.C. People were literally thinking and dreaming about things, and then they were doing them the next day. Mm -hmm. That's um, that's very uncommon. That doesn't happen everywhere. Right the way that it's happening here. That inspired me. And then I um, I just love positive things. I love to encourage. I love to inspire. And I like how things encourage and inspire me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes, like, you're on social media or you're watching TV or you're just out and, you, I don't know, you just experience, like, something negative, right? And you're like, oh, my God, I can't. No, you know, stay away, stay away, stay away. Mm -hmm. um, and I just felt like, there was a lot of negativity that was also trying to come against all the great and positive things. Yeah. And I wanted to be a part of the positive and the light sort of pushing against the negative. So just um, wanted to, to encourage people to like reject the sidelines, move forward, do what you want to, you know, do what you want to do and make your dreams a reality. Mm -hmm. um, definitely for us, for people of color. Yeah. Definitely for um, underserved communities. Mm -hmm. Definitely for our youth for women, for everybody, don't get me wrong, but, you know, my mindset is always, like, helping us. Yes. Um, another thing that Dorsey's always said to me is, like, you have to be of service to your people. Mm -hmm. You have to you have to provide a service, and you have to be of service. Yeah. And this is a cool way for me to sort of fuse all of that together, I think. I mean, well, now that you explained, like, just, because I was thinking when I saw the dreamer crossed out on the shirt, uh -huh. I was just thinking, like, well, maybe she means that people are now doing. They're not dreaming. But right. I like what you just said. You know, like people aren't sleeping. They're like completely missing, like having like 20 hour days. Yeah. I mean, you know it's I mean? really, it's sort of both of that. Right. So it's like no sleep till Brooklyn. Think about all the people that you know mm -hmm. who are literally working like 8 a.m. in the morning till 8, 8, 8 p.m. at night. Mm -hmm. And then they come home, they eat or they don't eat. And then they um, are working on whatever it is, like their passion projects. And I'm meeting more of those people every day. And I'm actually glad to be meeting more of those people every Isn't day. Because that so means dope? that people haven't stopped creating. Yep. There's more and more people deciding, like, I want to create something. So great. And I'm going to create it I no matter it. what it takes. Yep. And and that inspires me. That really inspires me. Um, so it's like, like Jay said, finish your breakfast, but keep keep working. You a hip hop fan? 
<laughs> Sounds like you're a hip hop fan, you know. I like music. Yeah. Okay. 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 Who's your who? Who? Um. Nah, I'm not even gonna hit you with the top five questions. I'm not. Even hit you Do you that. see my shirt? So that's your top five. Well, so I just wanted to make sure that people often talk about top five, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't necessarily also respect the woman MCs and female MCs that we had. So that's real. That's real. Um, Her shirt says "Light Queen Kim." Lauren and Nikki. <laughs> and so I was really, really, really like struggling putting Nikki on here. No disrespect. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm an eighties baby. Um Nikki got bars. Nikki though. got bars. She got bars. I don't know Nikki all of Nikki's bars, but I just off the strength of monster, she's on the shirt. Okay. So okay. okay. Good good song to, to cons- have considered in order to put her on the shirt. Yeah. Um all right, well, so I wanna know. What are some of the positives and negatives that you've witnessed over the past several years with DC's creative economy being embraced more, you know, just with more people wanting to create and do something, air quotes, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, um, what, like I said, what are some of the positive and negatives that you've witnessed? It is, it is really, it's, it is really special to be in an environment full of people who are supporting you mm-hmm. and who are willing to respond to your email, people who are willing to answer your phone calls, people who are willing to take a meeting with you, um, to know that our mayor just, you know, came up with the the 202 Creates initiative where mm-hmm. they're supporting creatives here. That doesn't, that's not happening in other. And I don't think a lot of people realize, like, now... DC government really is like behind even fiscally yes. behind creatives in the city. So you got to like know what's happening, like yes. read up on research, do whatever you need to do to be able to gain access to what they are wanting to dish out. Yeah. It's, um, it is, it is such a good feeling to know that people are here mm-hmm. and they're supporting you and they want you to not just make a livable wage, but they want you to thrive, and they want your dollars to continue to to help um, stay within the community and to help communities here. It it, it is it's a superb feeling when your city holds you down. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's pretty it's pretty exciting. Um, I don't know. Let me. I can't think of any negatives about how like this being such a creative and maker town now or turning into a creative and maker town i'll tell you one negative that always sticks out okay well let me let me say let me let me start it off with the positive the positive is that um that whole risk thing that i was talking about that Mm -hmm. risk taking thing i was talking about earlier in terms of like fashion and being from here and not really seeing a lot of people taking taking risk with their style um i like that even in that instance especially like the younger generation they, I went to this event at Blind Wino recently, and I was just like, this is so cool, man, because back when I was their age, you know, all these kids would have got laughed out for how they're dressed and everything. Right. But <laughs> I just think it's so awesome that, one, you got kids from the suburbs, from the hood, all in this one place, all of them dressed however they dressed. But, like, it is just like them. You could visit, You could see, like, people were taking chances. You right. know what I mean? Like. Right whether it be their own brand or just like doing the whole like vintage thing or like, you know, like hitting up the thrift store and like really like pulling something together. Or even if it was like, 
you see some people like fusing in like high end stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like really adopting and making it their own. Mm -hmm. Um, some people they tried a little too hard. <laughs> Others they got it right. You know what I mean? And you know, even to the hairstyles. And I was just like, man, I just wish that we allowed ourselves that same type of freedom when we were 18, 19, 20, 21. Um, Some of us did. And, you know, growing up in this area, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I'll say to that, the fact that you see the youth just not even caring about any kind of archetype, any type of, like, rigid archetype prior to, I think that's dope. Now, the negative is, and this is something that I've always complained about. Sometimes I get on Twitter and I go on a rant because mm -hmm. I just be like, you know what? I'm tired of this shit. Mm -hmm. I got something to say. So for me, I always see, I often see mediocre output, a lot of mediocre output um, from people, not all, but some people doing creative things in D.C. Um, and I blame that on just like not really knowing, say, what industry standards are, just like striving to meet the industry standards versus working to exceeded or just working from the industry standard as well as just um you know wanting to just do something as a hustle you're not really invested in it you're just like oh well i see them getting some shine or they're making some money so i'm gonna do it too and it's just like eh, i can kind of tell you're just trying to do this as a quick flip or even just maybe not having a broad enough range of experiences to be able to know like okay all that's out there beyond just what you see in your own mind you know what i mean even down to just like not even just knowing the business of whatever your respected industry is mm -hmm. you know and I, I i when i go on these ranches it's not because i want to just like try to make people feel bad or diss people or just whatever it's just because i know that there's a, a great wealth of create creativity here a lot of great raw talent you know that some people if they just had the right people got in them. They could like, you know, do amazing things and be amazing, you know, everywhere, you know, but, mm -hmm. um, that, those are two, that, that, that's one positive and one negative that I see at this juncture with, um, the creative economy in DC. So I feel you, but also to flip it, um, beauty's in the eye of the beholder mm -hmm. and you got to start somewhere. And if, if, you know, if you want to be an attorney, mm -hmm. you can go to several different law firms when you're in high school and mm -hmm. start working to understand what it's like to be an attorney. Okay. If you want to be a doctor, there's so many different hospitals you can go to mm -hmm. to meet or speak with doctors or people, you know, you have, most people have access to some sort of healthcare professional mm -hmm. to have experience to understand what those roles take in order to be efficient and effective. Mm -hmm. We're at the beginning of this new renaissance, right? You'd and say we're still at kids, the beginning? Well, I think it's a new renaissance, at least here in D.C. Like, you know, with all of this that's happening, we're still really very much at the early stages. And now our government is actually trying to support us. Okay. Hopefully there will be some mentorships or, you know, if if, if District of Clothing and Deanna Dorsey Design continue to grow and blossom, then I would love to be able to have kids come in and understand what it really takes to be a creative professional. Okay. But if they don't have access to it, we can't really always ex ex expect them to be just stunting out the gate. I, I don't think that's realistic. If you look at some of my work, you know, 
just over the course of the years, I that's one of my goals is to continually try to grow and get better. But mm-hmm. I had to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. If you saw my first sketches, I'd gladly show them to you. You'd be like, ah. but I had to start somewhere. Well, no, absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, no one, unless you're copying, mm-hmm. starts off amazing out the gate. But I'm speaking in terms of just like, you're you're able to, somehow you're able to get by just doing the bare minimum. I see. You know what I mean? Like that, because I mean, even when I started out, you know, I started out, um, I had a blog called The Glass House. I started out interviewing um, local artists and covering events and things like that. And the writing on the, on the, on the blog wasn't the greatest to start. And just like, just my whole approach to everything wasn't the right. greatest. But over time, things got better. Right. You know, but it was, I was constantly wanting to get better. You know what I mean? You bring up a good point, too. I, I often say that, you know, a lot of people want to be entrepreneurs and a lot of people want to be creative. Mm. This isn't, you know, it's a very lonely world. Yes. I I consider entrepreneurship a calling. Mm. It's not it's not something that you just, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur tomorrow. Nah. Nah, no. I'm be. We're both shaking our heads if you, you, know, you can't see right now, but no. Um, it's a calling and it's, you know, the hustle is non-stop, but you also have to learn that hustle and you really don't know it until you just jump right in. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have to also, I think, just get accustomed to not sleeping. Yeah. Still working effectively. Oh, yes. On absolutely no sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe missing a bill or two. Maybe not having insurance for a couple of months or years. You know, there's there, there's just being uncomfortable. Yeah, you gotta you ha- and you have to be able to thrive mm-hmm. without being comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I I strongly you know I don't tweet nearly as much as I used to. But the one thing that I really do tweet about is just like encouraging messages to other entrepreneurs mm-hmm. um, because it's not a game. Yeah. I don't really feel like a lot of people talk about. The other side of entrepreneurship is not glamorous. Yes. It's not luxurious. You know, there was, what, five years where, like, I really didn't see a lot of my friends here. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, so for my fifth anniversary of Deanna Dorsey Design, I sent out this invitation and just said, like, please come celebrate with me. We're celebrating five. And mm-hmm. I told all my friends, like, I'm I know you haven't seen me in five years, but this is what I've been doing. And, and, you know, I used to get bragged on all the time. Like, you never come out. We haven't seen you. And and I'm not really the most vocal person. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wasn't necessarily telling everybody what I was working on. But once they came and saw it, it was just like a great moment, you know, to celebrate. I guess I missed a lot of things, yeah. but it was all really sort of worth it because here I am today mm-hmm. and now seven years later. Um, but you have to be willing to miss a lot yes. of things yes. in order to be there. And I'm nowhere near where I want to be. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of more things that I'm going to have to miss, Yeah. Um, but I'm okay with that because okay. this is my calling. This is my purpose, yes. at least for right now. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't necessarily know what's coming around the corner, but. Yeah. Well, with all that said, do you think DC will ever be a place where more creatives can not only monetize but live solely off their efforts? Absolutely. Because um, a lot of people, a lot of people don't think that. 
a lot of creatives I know who will not stop creating, you know, even if you put a gun in their head. Mm -hmm. They don't think that it will be that, you know. Well, I think that's, again, you know, one of the misconceptions about being a creative. Like, just because you're a creative doesn't mean you you also can't be analytical. If you mm. want to, you know, thrive and live and survive, you have to also be analytical and you have to also be, like, you have to learn how to balance a checkbook. You have to learn how to do your sheets. You have to learn how to do, excuse me, not your sheets. You have to learn how to do your books. Um, and you need to make sure that you have an attorney. You need to make sure that you have an accountant. You need to make sure that you have, you know, a support system who can, answer the phone when you're calling them crying because you you literally just don't know what's up from down anymore because you're so exhausted. You need to teach a class. Like, <sighs> DCPS need to hire you, teach a class for Duke Ellington. Hire me, or, hire me. you know, whoever. Like, uh, 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 even if you... Any art school, you need to be there because you were, like, dropping some gems that I just know a lot of art students just don't get. You know, I actually you know. was just invited and I spoke, I think it was last week or two weeks. I don't know. Time won't give me time, so everything sort of runs together. But um, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to the Art Institute here. I spoke to a class. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, I walked in and I just said, my name's Deanna Dorsey. I have two small businesses. I'm going to be real with you. You know, this is what you need. This is what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, these other things could very well happen, too. Don't ever let anybody tell you no, but um, be prepared because it's not it's not what you see on on TV, and um, and it's okay to cry. <laughs> were yeah. they receptive to it? They were. Okay. I got I got some really cool um, DMs and some really cool emails, and um, their teacher sent me a message the next day just saying like, "Thank you for actually being honest with them about." You know, your first job is not going to be you're designing from this beautiful 60 floor, you know, perfect viewed building. No, you're going to be sitting in a cube somewhere responding to 300 emails. But, you know, um, she she appreciated it. She's also she also had worked in New York mm. for a while. Um, and I was just honest with the kids. I think you have to be. You know, be like I said, being an entrepreneur is a very lonely lifestyle. You have to learn to be vulnerable um, with yourself as well as with your work so that you can tune into your great creativity. And then you have to really, to enable others to, to you know, to, to enable yourself to, like, lift others as you climb, you have to be honest with people. So I believe in, um, like, failing. Mm -hmm. I believe in failing horribly, but fail fast. Mm -hmm. Fail forward. Mm -hmm. Um, share and be vulnerable about those failures mm -hmm. with people um, so that people don't have some warped sense that, you know, oh, it's all good. Yeah. Nah. It's great, but it's not it's not how they show it on the commercials. Like, the Amex commercials crack me up all the time. I think it's Amex or Citibank. Some, those credit card commercials always make me laugh. It's like, that's not entrepreneurship. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you gave them real rap, not mainstream rap, because mainstream rap, they be lying. Yeah. <laughs> they never talk about the struggle. No, the you struggle know. is real. You know, you gotta you gotta talk about the struggle before you you hit the riches. You the know what I mean? You gotta is hit real. that. And and truthfully, when you are don't money matters, right? But when you are really um when you're really truly a creative, you're doing it for the art and for the experience and for the shared experience with other people. It's not about the money. 
you know, the money will come and then the money will go. It'll come, but it'll go. And you have to do it to respect the um, whatever industry that you're in. But, you know, you have to do it to respect the art versus just chasing after money. If you're chasing after money, it's just not going to not gonna work out. Is Chanel still your favorite designer? Oh. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah. I can't afford her. But I love Chanel. Okay. Yeah. So, well, before I love we... Tom Ford, too. Oh, yes. Tom Ford. You yeah. seen his new movie? My baby. Not yet. Okay. I, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't remember the last time... I don't remember the last time I went to the movies. Make I sure. went to a screening a couple of weeks ago, but I don't remember the last time I actually went to the theater. Well, make sure you watch that as well. Did you watch Single Man? Yes. Okay. Yes, I yes. went. I went down to East Street Cinema to see that on my Christmas Day. Favorite. Yeah. That's my favorite. That was a, here. that was a that was a great film. Great it was film. a great film, and if if you have an if you have an eye for art, you definitely understood even yeah. beyond the storyline why that was a great film. You, you could know? watch that movie with in silence. Yes. Yes, you absolutely could. You really can. You absolutely could. Um, well, my final question for you is a question that you asked me earlier that I didn't answer. Okay. But what are you listening to? Who are you listening to right now? Oh, my gosh. I just had this conversation. I have a girlfriend, Claudia. Hi, Claudia. Um, we talk about music often. Mm -hmm. um, so Solange. Okay. A Seat at the Table. Yes. That's probably absolutely number one. Mm -hmm. Um. I just listened to Geronimo. Not, I'm calling him Geronimo. I just listened to Childish Gambino. I'm sorry. I'm looking at you and thinking. And I appreciated it. Um, it was my first time actually listening to him, so that mm -hmm. was cool. I just I haven't listened to John Legend all the way through yet. That was nice. But um, on a day-to-day -day basis, I always listen to Solange, mm -hmm. right, last couple of weeks. Um, every single day I listen to gospel music. Mm -hmm. I listen to, I call her Mama Maya. I mm. listen to Maya Angelou. Mm -hmm. um, I listen to Langston Hughes. Okay. Uh, every single day. Um, I Oh, Philip Glass mm -hmm. is my favorite composer. So he's on at some point during the day, especially when I'm about to pull my hair, my hair out because he calms me, but he also sort of brings a different side out of my creativity. Yeah. I love him. Um I wish I had my Spotify up. Oh, Chance. I listen to Chance often. Okay. Always pull up something from Jay. Um, you quoted you a lot of Jay tonight. I so, love you Jay. Know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Coldplay is like my favorite band after the Elements. So I listen to them quite mm. often. I do a lot of MJ dance breaks. <laughs> Lauren Hill's always, always, always in my CD deck in my car. Mm hmm. Um, Fela is in right now, so I've been listening to Fela pretty consistently for the last three weeks. Yeah. I think almost every day in the car I have Fela on. Um, oh, and then Jermaine graced us with yes, a yes, couple of little pieces here and there, and mm. I like cannot wait for December 9th. Shots fired. I can't wait. <laughs> Oh, I'm happy. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a good that's a good uh that's a good lineup of people. That's a yeah. good lineup of people. I'm, I'm a little all over the place, but that's what makes me. Nah, it's good. It's good to have a a, a diverse uh playlist. Very good to have that. Mm -hmm. You know. I should probably also add Miss Anita Baker. 
I listen to Miss Anita at least once a week. Okay. Yeah. All right. I can respect Anita. Mm. You better. <laughs> I do. I do. Okay. I grew up listening to Anita because of all the older people around me. All right. You know? Um, I'm trying to think who else. I listen to... Um, Gosh, of course I can't think of her name. She's one of my favorites, um, or probably my absolute favorite. And I can't think of her name. Um, Amel Larue. Oh, well. I listen to her daily, too. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, the thing, the the album I listened to very recently, um, which I should have listened to sooner, was uh, Emily Sande's album, mm. her, her latest album. Okay. Um, I listened to another podcast called. Um, Sound opinions, mm-hmm. and they were talking about how it was a uh, basically right in the middle of lemonade and a seat at the table. Shut up! And I was listening to it. I was like, you know what? They're right. It is right in the middle of that. Yeah. You know. So check her out. I'll check her out. Check her out. Isn't it really beautiful what the Knoll Sisters gave us this year? I, I it is. It is. And it I'm is so I'm special. not a, I'm not a big fan of either one, mm-hmm. but I, I I greatly respect their bodies of work mm-hmm. you know what i mean and what they bring and what conversations they they encourage right you know what i mean so um you're gonna sit at this table you're gonna drink this lemonade <laughs> you're gonna love you're gonna self-care you're going to forgive i think, I think they had a conversation about it's it. very special okay okay we gotta wrap up where can people find you uh you can purchase everything online <laughs> districtofclothing.com mm-hmm. you can find us on Instagram, district underscore of underscore clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter, or style underscore district. It was an epic fail trying to get everything together. Just couldn't get the same handles. Uh, you can find me personally on Instagram at Deanna Dorsey, D-I-O-N-N-A-D-O-R-S-E-Y. And um, I'm usually somewhere around in D.C., just holler at her. She'll be she'll be around. Under the radar somewhere. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. I once again, Deanna, I thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Good. I appreciate good, the good, opportunity. Good. All right. So yeah. until next time. The All the Fly Kids show is produced and recorded at One Love Massive Studio, located across from the historic Howard Theater in Washington, D.C. Engineered by Mike, Mark, and Molly, and produced by Geronimo Nose, me. You can subscribe and listen to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Mixcloud. Pay it forward and let the people know we're here.